Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a lawsuit has been filed against a funeral home alleging discrimination for refusing to provide services for a deceased man who was gay. Hear from the widower's attorney. The nursing home was refusing to pick up the body and that it was based on their same-sex relationship and further that the body had to be moved immediately is reorganizing and making cuts to adjust to an $11 million reduction in a budget. Find out how they are adjusting to the change. And the date for the Kemper County Power Plant to be fully operational has been pushed back again. What will the delay cost taxpayers? That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A widowed man finds himself at the center of a controversial case in South Mississippi. 82-year-old Jack Zadowski of Picayune was married to the late Robert Husky. After Husky's death, the funeral home that had been selected to handle arrangements allegedly refused services to Mr. Zadowski after finding out the couple was in a same-sex relationship. The case will be heard in the Circuit Court of Pearl River County. Attorneys from a national civil rights organization have taken the case on behalf of the surviving spouse. Attorney Beth Luttrell tells us the events that led to the suit. This case was brought on behalf of the surviving spouse, his partner of 52 years, uh, but they were uh, married at the time, passed away in a Picayune nursing home. Arrangements had been made with a Picayune funeral home who was supposed to pick up the body uh, and do the cremation services But when they found out that next of kin was a male husband, they refused to provide the services and left this family uh, stranded and scrambling to make other uh, arrangements um, at at the worst uh, time of their lives. This happened where? This happened in the Picayune, Mississippi area. Was it the surviving husband who, who made the arrangements? It was his nephew who has been the a person who was attempting to shield his uncle from the burden of of figuring out what to do when his husband passed. One of our plaintiffs is John Gaspari, and that is um, Bob and Jack's nephew. When the funeral home found out that the deceased was a gay man, did they say they were refusing service because he was a gay man? What I can tell you is that the nursing home relayed all of the information. So the nursing home called our client and said, we have a problem, and then continued to explain that uh, the nursing home was was refusing to to pick up the body and uh, that it was based on their same-sex relationship. And further, that the body had to be moved immediately because they didn't have a morgue on site. And so all of the prearrangements that John had made were out the window, and he was left scrambling with very little time to find other accommodations. And in fact, 
Uh, the closest accommodations were a three-hour round trip away in, in Hattiesburg. Is that what they ended up doing, going to the funeral home in Hattiesburg? Yes, that's where they ended up taking Bob's body. And, and they even had to find another transportation service because the time it would take with this last-minute emergency situation caused by the funeral home's refusal meant that the body couldn't stay there for the time it would take for the funeral home to get back to uh, all the way down to Piggy to pick the body up. And they had to scramble uh, another time to find someone else to transport the body. It, it was quite the chaotic and panicked experience for the family when they thought that they had everything uh, under control and that they could concentrate on their grief, and instead they were put into this terrible position. Do you know if the funeral home cited the state of Mississippi's support in refusing service under Bill 1523? We have not heard directly from the funeral home, so so we don't know what their motivation is. Uh, I will say that I'm also one of the attorneys arguing against that law in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And it is laws like HB 1523 that encourage discrimination of of this sort. This was a refusal of services. And what the Mississippi law seeks to do is to allow, allow people to do this kind of action with impunity. I would not be surprised if 1523 isn't used as a justification, although it wasn't in place at the time these events happened. It's my understanding that this funeral home is part of a chain and it's the parent company that you're suing? We are suing the the parent company of of the, the funeral home. What are the damages that you're seeking? Well, first and foremost, we're following this lawsuit to ensure that something like this does not happen to, to anyone else. We have not asked for an amount certain. Uh, we have asked for compensatory and punitive damages in an amount to be determined by the enlightened conscience of the jury to ensure that this, this family is made in some way whole. But more than that, that it, it sends a message that uh, funeral homes are required to treat all of their customers with equal dignity uh, and respect. The widower is an 82-year-old man. Is his health an issue? Has this caused emotional, physical outcomes with him? He is actually 83 years old right now. And the loss of his partner of 52 years combined with the indignity of discrimination that was heaped on top of it has certainly taken a a very significant toll on his uh, emotional and physical health. Where does the lawsuit stand now? Where is it in the courts? Well, we are in the midst of litigation. We're in a phase of uh, a lawsuit called Discovery, where we are gathering documents from witnesses and from defendants. And when that phase ends, uh, we'll move toward a, putting a trial on the schedule. Beth Latrell is legal counsel from Lambda Legal. Beth, thank you very much for being with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for your interest and in, in for covering the story. House Bill 1523 was signed by Governor Phil Bryant in 2016. Coming up, Mississippi's Department of Health is working to reinvent itself in the midst of a dwindling budget. Find out where they stand. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio.
Secretary of State Rex Tillerson met his agency with warm praise. The individuals who comprise this department are among the finest public servants in the world. When people see you, they see America. But now Tillerson's boss at the White House is proposing deep cuts at the State Department and Tillerson's on board. That's next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI, Public Radio International. Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio. If you have a vehicle that you no longer need and is collecting dust, we have a solution. Donate it to MPB. Your donation will go towards supporting your favorite programs that keep the community informed. To get more information about our car donation program, call us at 877-MPB-4-CAR or visit mpbonline.org slash support. Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Officials at the Mississippi Department of Health are in the midst of reorganizing the agency. This after the state legislature handed down another budget cut amounting to $11 million in state funds. Liz Charlotte is Director of Communications at the Mississippi State Department of Health. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the cuts could have been worse. We suffered a large cut in state funds. It could have been much worse, uh, and we're grateful to the legislature who did give us authority to use some monies for operating expenses, so we're very grateful for that. But nonetheless, we went from um, FY17, the beginning of FY17, having $36 million uh, to run the agency. That's state funds. That's not our total budget. And then there were budget cuts throughout the year, so that went to $31 million by the time we end FY17. And at, to begin FY18, our budget is now $24.6 million. So you're looking at about a 32% decrease in state funds from the beginning of FY17 to our FY18 budget. What does it mean in terms of managing the agency? Are you restructuring? How are you going to implement changes to deal with this? It's an ongoing process. As you know, with the Affordable Care Act, we had already started to make changes because our clients, our patients had other places they could go to get uh, the treatment we were, were providing, and that was good, but we had a decrease in Medicaid funding. And so back then we had to start making changes, if you remember. So you remember we closed nine county health departments. And, well, as this continues, and we know now what our budget is for FY18, it necessitates the need to reorganize the agency or, as you said, restructure it. So right now we have nine public health districts. And we will be going to three public health districts. We're not going to be closing. We don't anticipate closing any county health departments. So there'll be a north, a central, and a south. This is the beginning. We have also made some changes at at the central office as well. We merged the Office of Health Disparity Elimination into the Office of Policy and Evaluation so that health disparities could be considered in all decisions. And we also merged health prevention and health services. So what we are trying to do is 
eliminate any kind of administrative overhead, make sure we're cross-training to make sure we're operating at maximum efficiency. Now, there's going to be more changes. You know, everything is on the table right now. We're looking at every area of the agency, and every area will be impacted. But the important thing to remember is we look at our mission to promote and protect the health of all Mississippians, and our mission is to assure core public health services. So those two things will drive our reorganization. How about the workforce? Where do you stand on retaining jobs? We know that we're going to have cuts. However, you know, at the end of the year, we usually have people who retire, and we've had a lot of vacancies that we haven't filled. So hopefully it won't be that bad. But whatever our plan is, we expect it should be in place by June 30th because the fiscal year starts um, July 1st. So this is going to be an ongoing process for the next several weeks. So when would people know the state of their jobs? We would expect to have that ready, most of the pieces ready to announce by June 30th. How many people have you laid off already? It didn't total that many. I mean, it was less than 100. The bulk of your funding comes from the federal government, correct? That's correct, and it's important to note, 10% of our funding comes from the state funds. The new administration uh, in Washington is certainly reviewing the Affordable Care Act, and there could very well be federal cuts as well. So the whole complexion of your department is changing drastically. Yes. And no, our mission isn't changing. What is changing is how we are going to make sure to promote and protect the health of all Mississippians. I guess you you could say it's not going to look the same structurally. There's no way it can't look different. Well, Liz Charlotte, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about the health department. We're glad for the opportunity. Roy Mitchell is executive director of the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier his concerns about the budget cuts could mean for the state. It's alarming, frankly. Uh, Mississippi has uh, high incidences of uh, chronic disease, uh, communicable disease. Um, We're well known for being uh, the first and the worst health indicators in this country. And uh, it's alarming in that there seems to be a political assault on health care in this country, and now we're seeing it in our own backyards. Uh, this uh, health department is the, the first line of defense in terms of uh, fighting chronic disease. We have high instances of asthma, diabetes, cancer, um, and uh, we just can't skimp on our health department. Lawmakers will say the budget is tight. We're not getting the money that we were projected to get, and we just don't have it. We are dispersing it as best we can. Well, I think that's penny-wise, pound-foolish, and I only pray that we all aren't paying for this in the near future. What do you mean by that? In terms of higher incidences of chronic disease, uh, uh, higher incidences of communicable diseases in this state, where they are all, all so prevalent now. Well, I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That's Roy Mitchell of the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up, the controversial multi-billion dollar power plant in Kemper County is facing another delay. That's after a health minute with Dr. Rick. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Let's go to Aberdeen and Wayne. Hey, Wayne. Morning. Thank you. Uh, My GP does not do digital rectal prostate exams anymore, and he also discounts the PSA test. And uh, I'm 65. I urinate a little more frequently than I used to, which I think is just age-related. But I don't know now how do you even have your prostate checked. And It seems like to me they're telling me that you don't know something's wrong until something's terribly wrong. I'll just tell you my particular feeling about that. I do a digital rectal on everyone uh, once a year that will let me do it. It's a male. It's an older male. And if they have a family history of prostate cancer, I will get a PSA. I'm not, I I get one reference PSA on everybody just as a matter of reference and don't get them on a yearly basis. And that is pretty much non-scientifically based, but that's what I do. If you're having urinary symptoms, that means your prostate's enlarged. It's either enlarged because it's benign prostatic hypertrophy or it's prostate cancer, okay? So anybody that has symptoms, difficulty urinating, dribbling, needs to have a digital rectal and a PSA, at least as a reference point, to make sure things are okay before you get Flomax and everything else. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. Next time on Mississippi Roads, Mississippi celebrates its bicentennial in 2017, and we take a look at some of the state's history. In addition, we feature a story on Tejada, the first capital building in the state that still stands in Natchez. And we take a look at the Key Brothers' historical flight over Meridian, which resonates even to this day. I'm Walt Grayson. Join me on Mississippi Roads. Thursday at 7 p.m. on MPB TV. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo for Southern Remedy. Each Wednesday, we answer your calls on health issues of interest to you. They range from medical questions on kids, young adults, baby boomers, and seniors. Whatever you need to know. Join me for Southern Remedy this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
The Kemper County Energy Facility is facing yet another delay in operations. Officials say the plant won't be fully operational for at least another month. The state-of-the-art power plant has become a controversial subject for some due to costs amounting to $7.3 billion. Critics say it will be too expensive to maintain and operate. The plant will utilize clean coal technology to make electricity. Mississippi Power spokesman Jeff Shepard tells MPB's Mark Rigsby the original date to be online was March 2017. Uh, we made our monthly filing with the Mississippi Public Service Commission updating on the project. Uh, it was for uh, March of 2017. And while startup and commissioning activities continue at the facility, we announced that we expect the plant to be fully operational and in service by the end of May 2017. And I can tell you that the schedule adjustment is primarily related to some repairs and adjustments that need to be made with some equipment in the gas cleanup area. There's some uh, it's equipment called a particulate control device, and what that does is it's it's the first step of the gas cleanup area, and it removes particulate from the gas stream as it heads into the gas cleanup area, uh, and and so we needed to take some time to make some repairs and uh, then get back to restarting the gasifiers and the rest of the equipment and achieving integrated operation of the plant to sustain the production of electricity from Syngas. I do think it's important to note, Mark, that uh, you know, the plant has already achieved you know, integrated operation on both gasifiers. You've been producing electricity from Syngas, and we're producing the byproducts, <clears throat> excuse me, sulfuric acid and ammonia, as well as capturing, transferring, and storing CO2. So the plant has operated as it was designed to. Uh, we just need some more time to get it to where we can simultaneously operate both gasifiers. And our best guidance right now is that we can do that by the end of May. So this is a new problem? No. So we're in the, the startup phase, and, you know, this is where – Quite honestly, you build this time into the schedule when you're starting up a facility. And remember, you know, uh, it, it is important to remind everyone, Mark, that, you know, this is the first time a facility like this, you know, is being brought online. And so you're going to experience uh, some technical problems with some of the equipment um, as you're starting it up. And so uh, we're, we've seen that some repairs had to be made on one of the gasifier trains when it comes to the, the particular control devices. And and some of the ash removal systems as well. And so we, we are making those repairs. And then, of course, once you make the repairs, it takes some time to, you know, heat the system back, heat the gasifiers back up to the temperatures that you need them to get to, uh, and then begin, you know, operating them and then operating them, oh, both of them at the same time and producing electricity there. Did the company anticipate that it was going to take this long? Uh, yeah, I mean, Mark, you know, this isn't something that you would just flip a switch and it works, you know, uh, automatically the first time. Again, it's first of its kind technology uh, that's all being put together here. So, yeah, I mean, th this is built into the schedule. Um, obviously, we want to have had it online by now, but, you know, we're not going to sacrifice the safety of the folks working at the plant for the schedule. We're deliberately taking our time. We want to make sure that when we declare commercial operation, you know, we want to make sure once we get the plant online and it's operating for customers the, customers the way it should. Jeff, what's the total cost of the plant right now? So the total estimated cost, and again, this is through March of 2017, is $7.3 billion dollars. Mississippi Power and Southern Company have paid uh, about $2.9 billion of that amount. 
Um, and so that would mean, according to the, the commission's order on remand, approximately $4.3 billion is eligible for recovery. But it's, it's important to note that all project costs will be reviewed by the Public Service Commission, and they'll determine how much can be recovered and the method in which it, will be, it would be recovered. Can you tell me how much it's costing the company per month every time the plan is delayed so basically, um, it's approximately between 25 and 35 million per month, and this goes towards the the capped cost of the plan, which which Mississippi Power and Southern Company are paying, not customers. And so, that that's for um, you know things like labor, startup fuel, the materials, and and operating expenses. And then there's additionally approximately another 16 million in things like financing cost related to the facility. And again, we don't expect any, uh, you know, we don't expect any other recovery of any of these costs until the rest of the project is placed in service. Jeff Shepard, spokesman for Mississippi Power. Thanks for being on Mississippi Edition. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you having me on. Mississippi Power still reports plans to ask for a customer rate increase to help cover costs. The company still plans to go before the State Public Service Commission to ask for a rate increase in June. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. Or you can download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow morning morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio.